0: You are now entering the mind of one of rock's greatest musicians, a former singer of Styx. The exclusive podcast, Come Sail Away, with, with Dennis DeYoung. Come sail away, come sail away, come sail away with me. Hey everybody, Dennis DeYoung here. Good to see you, good to see you. Oh, I can't really see you, um, although I can. I'm at Apple headquarters, and if you got an Apple device, you know with these little things, you can see. I can see you put some clothes on right now. I mean it. And another thing with these earbuds, earwax, clean that out. Two words, Q-tips. Give it a shot. Here we are. And the last time we met, I started blabbing my big mouth about production of music, how it's done, how I've experienced it myself. The advances in the technologies that have changed fundamentally the music business turned it upside down. And it's also allowed many people who are not really singers or players in the first degree, as it, as it were, to be able to get by with almost anything. How this manipulation of sound has, has reached what I would consider to be uh, a degree that no one could ever foresee When we first started making records, as I pointed out, in 1972, our first five albums were done on 16 tracks. A track meaning you can record something on a track. Make it a drum, a guitar, anything. It could be a Bruce Harp. I don't care. You could put it on that track. And theoretically, in theory, you could have 16 different things playing at the same time, even though you didn't record them all at the same time. Isn't that amazing? Now, back in 1972, when we started with our 16 tracks, um, we essentially made all those records. And think about the Beatle records. Oh, my God. Those were four tracks for the most part. And if you go back further, Frank Sinatra in the 40s or even the people in the early 50s, they were, they were essentially all recording in real time, live, onto one track. Monoro. No stereo. One track. Amazing. Still, people enjoyed music. Somewhere in the 60s and the 70s, the advances in sound quality, they went mental. They were out there. Everybody had to have their own stereo, especially in the 70s, and they had their own the rig. Now people have decided they would rather have convenience and facility over sound quality. A little bit of a disappointment to people like myself who really value what music sounds like. But i got to tell you the truth. I can't be an elitist. When I was a kid loving music and really wanting to grow up to be a musician, I'm listening to a transistor radio in Manoral, awful-sounding things, maybe sometimes late at night when my parents didn't know with an earbud in there. So you in, you're you talking about one, one little thing in your right ear, and I was I was amused. So I can't be too much... Of a, of a hoity-toity and say, oh, la, because, you know, I enjoyed the music. You enjoy the music the way you want to. I still like the best sound possible. That's, what, that's my game. That's what I do. So, getting back to, we were talking about mixing. What is mixing? I said, well, that's when you take all these tracks, 16, 24, 96, however many you can have these days because of digital technology, as many as you like, and you have to take them all and you have to put them all into a space, and that space... It's two tracks, stereo. That's what it is. So no matter how many tracks you you have, and like I said last time, you can have 40 pounds of crap. You've got to get it into a two-pound bag. That's it. You have to figure out what's most important to be listened to in any song that you're going to mix. That means balancing, not only from EQ, which means treble or bass, Very sophisticated, though, to what effects are on different things. Is it a long reverb? Do we make it sound like it's in a big hall? Do we make it sound like it's in a small hall? What do we do to what's the most important thing to listen to? What's the loudest? What's the softest? Well, rule number one for me as a a guy who mixed a lot of records and produced a lot of records is if you want something to to sound good in a mix, make it louder than everything else. (laughs) That's simple. That's it. The things that are loudest will sound the best. But that is not a recipe for a good-sounding record. So if you have all these different instruments playing at the same time, you have to decide really what is the most important thing. And that would be dependent, I believe, on what kind of music you're making. For instance, if you're making disco music, dance music, EDM music, the most important thing will be the beat. So there is something called four on the floor, which means the kick drum, the bass drum, the guy, the drum, the, the, the drum plays with his foot. But nowadays is probably done by machine and electronically. It'll go thump, 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 thump. So even you people who can't dance, which is most of us, well, if you, if you get, you know, if you get lickered up enough, we'll ju- run under the dance floor and act like a fool because you think everybody else is, uh, they're high enough and who's going to notice you? Well, this is what EDM is all about. It's a big, it's a big party where if you listened to EDM music over and over again and you were completely not high and straight, you think, well, somebody's turned that kick drum off. But anyway, so in that music, it's not going to be the vocals. It's the vibe, baby, and it's the beat. But if you're going to do a ballad, more than likely, it's going to be the singer. If you have a singer that is your meal ticket, the reason people buy something then the singer probably should be the loudest thing in a rock band these decisions vary on, from song to song what is the most important thing there was a period in the in the in the in the 90s when the snare drum became the star everything was about how loud and and crazy could the snare drum sound i didn't like that if you if you know anything about me you know i like singers and songs first and foremost so when i mix records i look for the song and my songs are based in melody. So what's important to me, what I shine the spotlight on in my mixing is the singing. When I did my work with Sticks, I believe the thing that we had that was unique, unique to all of the other people around us was our lead vocals and our harmonies, which were they didn't sound like anybody else. So I always thought that was that was the thing that needed to be heard. Not that we weren't fine musicians; we were all fine musicians and, and, and played wonderfully to fit our songs. But I really believed the spotlight had to go on the singing first, and so that's how I looked at it. So when you're producing or mixing a record, you must make the decision: what is the most important thing in the song? Who? you know what what is it what's the musical idea i'm trying to sell and you mix accordingly well if you look at the amount of tracks you have good grief you're going to have choice after choice on what gets to be the loudest. And, the old, and, 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 and when you're frustrated mixing because you're in there for hour after hour, he says, I got an idea. Let's just make everything louder. Then it'll be great. It doesn't work that way. can't make everything louder. If everything's louder, everything sounds the same. Something has got to be louder than something else. And these are the choices that engineers and producers make to decide on what the ultimate sound of the record will be. I said record again. Excuse me. Anyway, I think as the producer, somebody who's figuring out what the whole will sound like when it's all said and done. What is the whole? You have to have the vision, not of the trees, but the forest. You have to see the big picture. I say A, B, M, always be mixing. Every over W dot, every new part you put on, keyboard, drum, guitar, saxophone, you know, I don't care, harp, whatever it is. You have to be thinking, where does that fit in the mix? Because given musicians, the wherewithal, they'll sit there and make a thousand parts for you. Can't use them all. just doesn't work that way. And when you're recording any sound, if you've got a good engineer, you'll hear this one overdub. That means one part. Say you wanted to, let's say, for instance, a guitar solo. Or it's just a chorded thing. You think, you, you put it up and you record it and it's gorgeous. You said, oh my God, this is going to be the best sounding record of all time. And then you have to understand that, no, wait a minute, it doesn't play all by itself. It must fit in sonically. All right, sonically. That means on an EQ spectrum where it can be heard among all the other things that are, are playing. Every instrument, every vocal cannot take up all that space. They have to share space in the mixing process. And it's hard. Mixing is the hardest thing about making records. It's the most tedious, the most frustrating. The, the old adage for me is you never finish a mix, you run out of time and money. That's it. Because you always think that you can get some magic. Sometimes when you're mixing, you get to the point where you're, you, you mix too much, you, you steal the magic right from the whole doggone thing. You've mixed it so much that it just doesn't have any value. A lot of modern records that I hear have that going from, because they have the ability through this digital manipulation, to mix and mix and change and cut and paste. Remember now, music is like your is like your computer. In other words, if you want to cut and paste a sentence and anything that you do or a photo, anything you put on your computer and then you put on your device, whatever it is, you can cut and paste. Well, music is the same way now. Forget about it. If you played three notes in one spot in the song and you wanted those three notes to keep playing through the whole thing, you can play it once. Three, those three notes, and then they can just cut and paste it. It sounds like you played it for four minutes. That's how easy it is to manipulate it. And speaking of manipulation of sound, I'm going to give you the best example. There's this woman called Sweet Brown. Go to YouTube. Check her out, Sweet Brown. And you just type in, ain't, no, ain't nobody got time for that. Did you hear that? Ain't nobody got time for that, that thing. Maybe you've seen it. It's she's the she is the sweetest uh, woman in the world, and she's been interviewed about a house fire, a typical newscast locally, and then she was so so wonderful and so charming. Somebody took what she said, speaking, and made it into a song by manipulating her spoken word into a melody. That's how how far we've come in, in, in the ability to manipulate sound. It's astounding. Check it out. It's on YouTube. Ain't nobody got time for that. But that, that's what I'm talking about. When you're mixing and you're putting things together now, you, you can do things that were unfathomable even t- five, ten years ago. It, it, it's like astounding. So when you're in there and you're mixing and you're trying to come up with the final product of what you think this piece of music should be, you have to know what song you're in. Different songs, even, with, even within in sticks of the music I make, every song must be approached differently. Is this the song where the rhythm takes on a more important part? Is it the guitars? Right? What is it? Is it the synthesizers? Is it the singing? What is it that's most important? And at different times of the song, different things will be more important than others. For instance, when a guitar solo comes up or a keyboard solo or any kind of a solo, maybe it's Kenny G. I don't know. How would I know? That solo, at that moment, theoretically, should be more important than the things behind it. These are the things that mixers do. And you sit there for hours and hours and hours, and, you know, sometimes... The funny thing, you get right down to the final mix and you say, okay, okay, we're here. We got to give this up. We just have to, let's just fix, fix, fix that, one little, that one little snare drum hit right there. It'll make all the difference in the world. You're going to go back in six months and lif- listen. If you listen to the last 20 rough mixes you did till the final, in most cases, you're not going to be able to tell them apart. You get in this room with these speakers, with, no, you know, with artificial light, and y- you get lost. You're in there because you, it's very easy to forget about the forest and only see the trees. So when you're mixing in there, you're trying to do one thing. You're trying to communicate and deliver the idea of the whole, whatever that is and whatever kind of song you're in. That's what you're attempting to do. And that's what we try to do. Uh, but I'm telling you, it's frustrating, and it is the least... Of all the parts of the recording process that are fun, when you're in there and you're, you're every overdub you're laying down sounds great, and you think you know we're going to win the World Series, and then it comes, it becomes October, and then you got to play the other team, which is the mixing process, and the mixing process is an ugly thing. It is. So that's my take. Uh, on mixing, I hope I haven't bored you. Now there are other things involved. We talked about the producer; he's he's the guy in charge. And a lot of a lot of people today, not we're back where the, we were in the fifties and the sixties when producers were king. They hired the musicians, they hired the, the singers, they made the arrangements. A lot of these big 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 time um, uh, uh, producers now and mixers they take the artist and they really they they create that artist's sound with sticks. We produced ourselves. We felt that we knew what was best for the music we were making, and so we produced our own music. And that's a, whole different, that's a whole different thing. But when I look back, when I go down and look at my albums on the wall, I think, hey, that didn't work out so bad. So anyway, um, mixing, producing records, and the only thing it all comes down to to somebody like me is, can I communicate musically my ideas to you guys do you get it do you connect do you say yeah I think that song was written for me yeah I think that I think that's me in that song that's the way I feel right that's that's the whole thing and the mixing process in my opinion is the thing that either stands away in the way of that process or enhances it but it's tricky Anyway, I'm done talking about technical stuff uh, right now in terms of mixing and producing. And next time, uh, we'll be getting really close to Christmas. I'll have some, some wild opinions about the world we live in. So tune in and check it out. This is Dennis DeYoung, hoping that the universe is spinning in your direction. Enlightening? Perhaps. Entertaining? always. Thanks for listening to the podcast, Come Sail Away with Dennis DeYoung. Get the next new episode Friday morning at 7 a.m. on this website.